Hang in there, idiot. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. We are joined by Lance Armstrong. This is a very exciting guest, uh, one that was actually set up by two of my friends that I played golf with at your home club, Driftwood Discovery Property in Austin, Texas. Yeah. And well, Steven Spieth is one of them, Jordan Spieth's brother. He's a very good friend. And then college, John, yep. Car- how do you pronounce his last name? I just know him as college. I know. Coryeth is how you pronounce Coryeth it. Coryeth is how yeah. you pronounce it. Well, but no, you, but nobody knows. I mean, you just there's there's times you say, hey, John, you know John Corey? People are like, no. And you go, well, okay, hang on, let me try again. Do you know college? They're like, oh, of course. <laughs> and and that's like everybody seems to be saying that about college. Just they they know him as college. They don't know him as John. Can you give me a little bit more about college and just y'all's relationship? Uh, I know this goes back I, many many years. Man, almost thirty years. I can give you a lot. But I, my favorite college story. And by the way. He is going to be, he's just going to fall off his chair when he knows that we're talking about him. Like, it, this is the kind of shit that he, when he hears this, dude, it, it's, it's year made. Right? <laughs> I mean, just the fact that you brought it up. And, but here's, so here's, here's my best college story. So this guy's been, he's been sort of my best bud for uh, 30 years and been, you know, through all of it, man, with mm-hmm. diagnosis and, uh, all the wins and all the uh, other stuff that followed that. And the guy's just, he's just a solid, friend and uh but so then but back in the heyday going back to 2004 we were filming this show it was like a almost like a reality show i think it was called the lance chronicles and it was airing on this network that that uh televised the tour and they follow us around to the races and everything so we did a race uh in the u.s called tour of georgia and we over in europe we have big buses and all the infrastructure but here in the u.s we had, uh, and he was a part of the series. Like he was always my riding buddy. So everybody was kind of getting to know this guy at college. So we're going to the tour of Georgia and we have to rent a bus. And I said, I said, Hey man, uh, can you drive a bus? And he's like, fuck yeah, I can drive a bus. I said, okay, good. You're the bus driver. So we go to the tour of Georgia and there are, I mean, thousands and thousands of fans every day. And, they, and when they see our bus pull up, they just start huddling around the bus by the door. Cause they know we're going to walk out. And, uh, uh, I, <laughs> this is so good in, in fucking college, uh, steps out of the bus one day. And he, again, he had been on all the episodes where people were like college, college. <laughs> and I, I look out the window and, and, and the son bitch is signing autographs. Oh man. And he finally comes back in the bus. I said, I said, I said, what the fuck was that? He's like, people wanted me to sign an autographs. I said, okay, all right, but here's a question. What do you, like, what do you sign? Do you sign your name? Cause your name's John Corrieth. He goes, no, man, I signed college. And I'm just like, you are such an idiot. Get back, drive the bus. Unbelievable. Hey, Charlie, Unbelievable. Uh, we got my producer and co-host on as well. Don't get any ideas on this when we're on the road and you start signing <laughs> autographs and stuff. Yeah. So Charlie, yeah. Uh, I, I, gotta, you, I, I gotta come up with a catchy nickname. I, I need like a, a college equivalent. You know, yeah. we've been having a long debate, Lance, about how to pronounce my last name. So, but that doesn't really come through when you're signing an autograph. It looks the same either way. But this is good. This yeah. is food for thought. I like this. Thank you for this yes. idea. <laughs> and and Lance, uh, this is uh, so one of Charlie's, you know, stories. And this is something that is is very relatable to you as well. Charlie had testic- testicular cancer as well, and. 
I'm, I'm going to th- give the uh, give the forward here to Charlie a little bit to kind of talk about his experience a little bit and kind of go have a little back and forth about just, I mean, what it was like. Yeah. 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 Well, we're both we're, we're both here. So that's a good start. That's right. Yeah, we're, we're we make an excellent two ball. Uh, I hope that joke's not too heavy for everyone out there. Yeah, but uh, no. there's plenty of testicular cancer golf jokes if we want to start. It's a great crossover. It's a, it's a really nice, yeah. you know, Venn diagram to, to be in the middle of. Um, no, I, I just, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting. It's not something that I really talked a ton about publicly, mm-hmm. but, you know, no better time than now with you to do so. And I, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. I just remember that time so vividly being 23 years old, mm-hmm. having this sort of pain in my abdomen and not knowing what it was. And you go in, you get it checked out. And the last thing you're thinking is, oh, they're going to tell you at 23 years old that you have cancer. And mm-hmm. not only do you have cancer, but right. you have a cancer that you know is very attached to your, to your masculinity. And, there, and there's a lot to kind of you know process, of course, at that age. Yeah. And I always felt like you were such a huge role model for me in that time in terms of the way you approached it. Like I just, I just loved, you know, seemingly the way you just absolutely were not going to let the cancer win. And you just had this, like seemingly this incredible, you know, willpower, just just overpower, you know, this, this disease and what you were going through. And that was something that I really kind of tried to to emulate in in, in those moments. Um, But the thing that that I I maybe, you know, found interesting is sort of a, a knock on effect were just those emotions that were maybe underneath the surface. And I think, you know, interesting ones, really, like, I think I had, I had sort of a, a guilt because I had a, I had a diagnosis. I caught it early. I had mm-hmm. surgery. I had surveillance. I never had to do chemo or, any, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the experience you had to go through guys like Joel Damon, mm-hmm. you know, tour pro. I talked to, to, with him about this at, at the RSM classic this last year of just, you know, how, how real is my cancer? If my experience didn't match, you know, the, the depths of what you all had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was one interesting thing. And then another thing is just, you know, you have that initial, uh, support that you feel from everybody in your sort of your family, your team, your friends of, of just that are all there for you in those, those initial moments, the surgery, rushing to your aid, you know, checking in on you, but then kind of as it trails off over time where it's just you going to those appointments and right. doing the surveillance and just kind of sitting there with your own sort of anxiety or, or, you know, doubt or depression, you know, so, so I guess all that's by way of saying is just w- when I, I wonder how you experience those under the surface emotions, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of existed beneath that sort of that, that drive and that willpower you showed so publicly going through it. And, and then maybe secondarily, when you get to talk to young guys who are dealing with, with, with cancer, with testicular cancer, you know, how, how you talk to them about being strong, but also coping with those kind of very real emotions that exist underneath. Yeah. Well, to your first point, I mean, survivor's guilt is a, is a, a very real thing. That is not a made up thing. It's, it's, you know, uh, you can look it up and read about it. It's, it's a real thing. And of course, uh, but, but also your, your situation, uh, is no different, right? It's different in the sense that you were lucky to be, uh, either catch it early or be self-aware enough to, to say something, right. To, 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 to go to the doctor or, or ask somebody or however you led, whatever led you to diagnosis. Uh, I mean, you could have been an idiot like me that just ignored it forever. I mean, I ignore, I mean, dude, the symptoms going back, I mean, if I walked you through the symptoms and then walked you through all of the excuses that I made up to myself, I mean, duh, no wonder I got so far, uh, so far gone. Um, but I guess that's sort of been a theme of my life. But <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's, uh, 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 you know, the and then with regards to just talking to folks, look, I, I, I 
viewed my experience. I've obviously a sportsman, been a sportsman my whole life, still am a sportsman. So I just viewed it like a competition, right? And, mm. and if, whether I was looking at a scorecard or where, a scoreboard or a stopwatch, I was using um, fr- from, from the very first day that I took tumor markers or looked at a chest X-ray, I just viewed that as my scoreboard. So as those tumor markers were dropping, I was like, you know, this, of course, is I'm making this up in my own head. I'm looking at the scoreboard. I'm like, damn, all right, I'm up 14, nothing. Now that they may make a run in the third quarter. I don't know, but, and then, you know, next round of tumor markers, shit, I'm up 28, nothing. I know they still might come back on me, but uh, you know, you just keep playing offense. And so uh, I viewed it. And, and then ultimately when the tumor markers dropped to zero, which, you know, is what ultimately you want to see. I mean, it was, yeah, it's uh, but that's the way my simple mind as an mm. athlete viewed it. And during this time, when it's, uh, I mean, just this was 1996, if if uh, if that sounds right to yep. you. I mean, yeah, really, during that time, I can't imagine that talking about testicular cancer, just the masculinity of just speaking upon, you know, having a diagnosis like this in today's day and age. I imagine so many men would be so comfortable talking about something like this. But back then, was that something that that you looked at as a challenge to make sure that other people felt comfortable as a man going through something like this? I mean, I never, it's a good point and a good question. I mean, it, it never, I, I mean, I get it. I get the sensitivity of it and, and, but I never, I never worried about it. I mean, I was, I was already a very public figure. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was going to go hide out for a year and say that I have a, a you know, a blown knee. I mean, it, yeah. it was going to be well documented. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I was, you know, I just said, look, this is, this is my story. And I, I, uh, I never had any, uh, insecurity around that. I mean, I, 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 and maybe if, you know, it's been a long time since I actually went back to those days and really thought about it. Um, but maybe, maybe my story was a shift where it was, Look, it, it happened. We know that it happened uh, in in the breast cancer movement, right? If you mm. go back, you'd have to go way back because that's such a powerful um, um, force of women today, right? Uh, but if you go back 50 years, you know, I suspect I wasn't tracking it then, but I suspect women were like, "This is this might be embarrassing." Right? That's a good point. I, I don't I, I don't want to tell my uh, uh, my neighbor that I have breast cancer or my coworkers or, you know, much less be a a, a highly visible and public person and make that announcement. But, you know, enough women said it, uh, pink became uh, the pink mafia became what it became. Uh, The Komen became the amazing foundation and charity that it became. And it empowered all of these women. And I really, yeah, now that, again, I haven't thought a lot about it in a long time, but uh, looking back on it, you know, maybe what they did for pink and breast cancer and Komen and all these things, you know, I was able to do in, a, in, a, in some way with with my own journey and, and as well uh, as, as with Livestrong. Yeah. And that's such a great point. You talk about the breast cancer as well. But I mean, I think you definitely carry the weight of a lot of men that maybe didn't feel comfortable talking about having testicular cancer. So I'm sure there's plenty of, of, yeah. of guys out there listening that are, they're thinking they're lucky stars that they felt comfortable yeah. enough. So, yeah, um, I, you know, my, mine, mine was so far advanced. I, I, I know for, there were days I was like, I don't give a shit what anybody says. Like, <laughs> I just got to get out of this thing. Like, let me just get back to doing the stuff that I love. You can, you can crack oh, whatever gosh. joke you want, but, but let's just, 
I want to wake up in five years and mm-hmm. 10 years and 20 and 50 years and, and have a family and do all of these things. And, um, so that, that was, that was heavy on my mind. Yes. And this is sort of a chicken or egg question here. Do you feel like your battle with cancer made you a better competitor or Absolutely. do you, or did yeah. your competitive nature better equip you to battle cancer? No, it, I changed as a competitor afterwards. Uh, I, again, I, uh, as I just told you all, I viewed it as a competition, mm-hmm. right? It is me versus them. Um, and, and, and there's going to be a winner and a loser here. And in the game of life and in the game of, of fighting cancer, winning means survival and losing means death. And so uh, it, it, I, I took that back to my sport and which on, on the competitive side, and of course my story has been well-documented, uh, on the competitive side, whether it's training, racing, whatever it was, it was wildly helpful to me. Um, now, the, the problem was is not everything in life is a competition. Uh, a press conference is not a competition. Uh, an argument with a former teammate is not a competition. That's just life. Like, just mm-hmm. fuck it. Let it go. Uh, so it doesn't those, – those are not wins and losses. Those are not life and death. Now, winning the Tour de France, yes, that's your job. You're paid to do it. You train to do it and go do it. But when it's over, like, just be you. Just be the man. And so I, I didn't uh, I didn't have an on and off switch when it came to having that sort of killer competitive instinct. And college sent me over a couple of different things. First off, I talked to him on the phone for probably an hour yesterday, mainly catching up, <laughs> mainly talking about you, him telling stories. I mean, that's that, that honestly could have been a, a podcast in itself. Some of the oh, things God. that he was don't, talking don't, about. Don't, don't, don't ask him. He he will drop a, a, anything he's doing to, to be on any podcast. <laughs> well, we might have to someday because he he sure told some incredible stories. And yeah. uh, this he sent me a cool video. And the video, it was like top five most watched sporting events of all time. And the guy could not figure out what the number one oh, right, watch right. sporting event was. And right. I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, what's the answer? Even though I knew probably I had to do something with cycling. And, and obviously it was the Tour de France. Yeah. And I guess I'm just so fascinated that I'm sitting here with, you know, one of the best of all time. And it, just from all of the years that you were over there riding at the Tour de France, is there one memory or just one day or one moment that sticks out like a sore thumb that just like you constantly think about what, why that event is so, whether it's crazy or what, what something about just a memory that sticks out to you? I mean, the one, and I've talked about this kid a few times, but the, 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 they're mostly good memories. I had a few bad days uh, that I can clearly remember, but my, my favorite story was, Oh boy, it was probably 2000. It was 2001 on Alpe d'Huez, which is the most popular climb in France outside of maybe you know, that and Mont Ventoux. But, you know, there's a million people on the side of the road on, on Alpe d'Huez. And, and not a lot of them were, uh, this was 2001. So I was trying to win the third tour. I was already public enemy number one. These fuckers are like throwing stuff and yelling stuff. Well, and there's 21 switchbacks. So it's a beautiful climb. It's a very, very famous climb. And, uh, um, and if you went on Alpe d'Huez, it's, it's a really big deal. And so there, I see, and you can see everything. I mean, the people are right on top of you. If you've ever watched the tour, you know, you see how close the people get. There's a little lull and I see this kid with an American flag and he starts running beside me and it's steep. So he, you can run as fast as we're riding now. He couldn't run the whole way up, but he's running and he was running good, you know, and he's yelling at me. He's like, you're the fucking man. You're the fucking man. 
like over and over and over. And I'm like, all right, dude, I got to get this guy to stop. Like, there's, how am I going to, I can't look at him and say, stop. But I'm also worried about him. Like if some of these aggro fans see him, they'll just, they'll just clothesline him. I'm like, this kid's got to stop. And he keeps yelling it. And so I'm like, fuck, I got to get him to stop. So I finally, I look over and I go, I know. And he stopped. <laughs> and he literally stopped, stopped him in his tracks. He was like, what? <laughs> Is there a video of this? Like, can I find uh, this on I the internet know, but somewhere? I, I, but it's funny enough, I've, I've run into the guy somewhere. He, he, he came, I don't know where it was, at some event. He said, you probably don't remember this, but I was, 2001, I was running beside you. And I said, were you the guy yelling, you're the fucking man? He goes, yeah, that was me. <laughs> it was just amazing. But was it, the, was it the same airport where you saw uh, Vince Vaughn uh, to help him win the yeah. dodgeball title? I'm sure it was yeah, probably the same, right. same day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was Vince Vaughn's character? Why am I going blank on that? What was his name? Uh, Peter LaFleur. Peter LaFleur. <laughs> Peter LaFleur from Dodgeball. I actually ran into Vince a few months ago in Miami, and uh, what a guy. What a good guy. But, uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was another highlight. Man, think about it. If I don't show up in Dodgeball, right, the movie di- the movie's over. Oh, it's like he, dead. It's in the water. It's over. The, mov- the movie ends. It's, everybody likes this movie and thinks it's funny. If I don't roll up on him in that airport lounge, it's over. It's, it's a big it was, deal. It was it was like one of the best cameos of of, of, of uh, a comedy movie of all time. Just oh, Lance Armstrong. Like, of course, I'm going to go back and and win the dodgeball title. Yeah, he said. So Ben Stiller was an old friend of mine uh, and still is. And so he he asked me to do it, and they sent me the script. And life was busy, and I'm all over the place. I said, shit, I'm not going to read this. I said, I, I you know, it's it, line by line. And so I show up and Ben says, okay, you're ready. Uh, of course, he was in it and directing. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm ready. Like, just go ahead, feed me the lines. Like, give me one line at a time. And he says, what? <laughs> I go, I, I haven't had time to read it. I said, just feed me each line and I'll say it as best I can. He goes, dude, no, no, no. This is a dialogue. Like, we can't feed you the lines. I said, what? And Vince Vaughn was standing there, like, ready to shoot. And he goes, dude, come with me. He says to Ben, y'all go do something else. We'll be back in an hour. So we went to his camper and we just rehearsed this dialogue over the course of an hour, nailed it and walked back and walked out there and did it. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Movie Star Lance. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's awesome. That's uh, it was an all time movie, man. I'm I'm glad you nailed your lines because you, you definitely made it made it made it even um, better. I, I had a good I had a good teacher in Vince Vaughn. <laughs> that's awesome. Good a good coach. Well, this uh, I, I had some time. I spent some time around Tom Brady on a golf trip, and I think anytime I've been around people that have been great in whatever they do, whether it's sports, business, um, you always walk away, or at least I do. And, and I realized why they're great. Hmm. And for me, even with Tom, I, I said, this guy, he, this guy would rather die than mm-hmm. to lose. And mm-hmm. that was the takeaway I took from, from Tom just playing golf. And there's a book, uh, Jim Collins wrote it good to great. Yep. And this is actually college told me this story. And he said, within the first three minutes of him meeting you, he said that you would rather or just winning for you is like a four out of 10, but losing for you is like a one minus 1 million out of 10. Right. Would you, right. would you say that's pretty fair? 
I, I, yeah, I, um, I, yes, that, that that's very fair. Um, I, I always loved, look, I had to win, right. I had to, that was, that's, that's what I was paid to do. That's what the fans wanted. And, and I wanted to win too. I'm not trying to minimize that, but the thing that I, and I, and I do think that, uh, just in my limited time around Brady, I think he probably shares this. The thing I loved more than actually showing up and doing the job and winning was the process. Mm-hmm. Like I loved the months leading up to it. I loved going to the mountains and previewing like, you know, that day I told you there's a million people on Alpe d'Huez. Well, I was there a month before and there was nobody on it. I had the whole place to myself. Mm-hmm. Like you see occasionally a, another cyclist, but nobody knew you were, you know, and you had it all. You're just running this process like that part. And then I love that. And still to this day, I'm a big believer in process. Uh, and, and when, when, you know, all seven of those years, when, when they would uh, finish in Paris, you know, I'd just be in the bus, man. And, and everybody would be out popping champagne and yelling and screaming and taking photos. And they'd find me in the bus. They'd say, what are you doing? I said, dude, we're done. Like process worked. We achieved what we were supposed to achieve. Like I'm, I want to go home. I want to go home and hang out with my homies and I don't need to be around a million people. Like yeah. it's over. Wow, that's that's so well said, and um, I think people often talk about golf and how it's a mental game. And mm-hmm. I think as it relates to professionals, uh, mentally preparing yourself to to succeed four times a year, and you kind of just talked about uh, the Tour de France and just the having to peak for that event and the process that goes into it. Do you see any parallels between that challenge and the mental preparation required to en- endure a twenty three day race and what these guys face? four times a year? Uh, I, well, it's, it's hard for me challenges, to say. challenges, right? Uh, yeah, and it's hard for me. I mean, I watch as much. I watch, my wife can tell you, she thinks I'm the biggest loser of all. Like, I watch golf all the time. I love it. Uh, all, that means you listen uh, to me a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I do listen to you. Um, and so uh, uh, I love the game. I love playing the game. I love watching the game. But obviously the majors, I've never been in that position um, I've, I've stood over, I mean, I love, I don't just play golf. I, pr- I prefer and pretty much only play the game unless if there's money on the line. So, you know, it, we don't play crazy games, but there's times where you got to stand over a, a putt or, you know, there's been a, you know, a hammer thrown and then a hammer thrown back and you're like, God, you know, that's a, that's the extent of my golf pressure, right? It, it might, <laughs> might be 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, but it, I cannot imagine being at a, a, a place like Augusta where, all those folks and so much on the line. Uh, I, I don't, dude, I'd, I'd crack hundred percent, hundred percent. But, but you are wired to be a champion. So there, there is some, there's some connection here. Like for instance, like Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. when I watched him growing up as a kid and watching him on TV, you turn the TV on expecting Tiger Woods to go win that day. And the same was for you. When you turn the TV on, you expect Lance Armstrong to win that day. And, yep. I think one of the and things he, and I, he ex, and he expected to win. He expected, and I expected to win. To, yeah, exactly. Actually, I, I might even I don't I can't speak for Tiger, but uh, I, I didn't expect to win. I knew I was going to win, hundred percent. I mean, it would have taken a, a, a serious accident or surprise illness, but I was hundred percent sure I was going to win. And is that just because of your preparation, just knowing physically, yep. mentally, you were just stronger than everybody else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd tell guy we'd get new guys on the team and. These guys, you know, after three or four of these in a row, you'd get a new guy on the team. I'll never forget we had this Spanish kid came on the team. Chechu Rubiera was his name. Very spoke really good English too. And 
we were at training camp in January and I said, this is January. The Tour de France is in July. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, you know, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to win again. Right. And this, he about fell off his bike. He said, <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I, I, I said, what do you, I said, I, I promise you I'm winning again. Like it just, it was, I was so sure. And looking back on it, it's kind of crazy because there is a lot of shit that can go wrong. I mean, it's, it's not a, you got 200 guys out there and, and crashes happen, mechanicals happen. And, right. Um, but yeah. And I'm sure you've been asked about the doping stuff a million times and I'm here, not really here to talk about that. That's not my place. Um, as an athlete though, and as, as a competitor, kind of like how we've been talking, mm-hmm. was there one point in your career, whether it was, it had to have been early, obviously, where we just talked about how you physically and mentally are better than everybody else. Was there a point where, whether it was another racer or somebody else that started putting up times or started beating you more often than not, where you're, where you're thinking to yourself, I have no chance to beat this guy because of the advantage that he has against yep. me. Is that, is that kind of what led to all the, the stuff that yeah. I really, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, we, we look, we, uh, it, it took over not just cycling. It took over pretty much every endurance sport. I had a drug called EPO that was wildly beneficial and undetectable. And so anybody and, and produced massive amounts of red cells. And so if you were running a marathon or riding the tour of France or whatever you, you know, running an Ironman, it was going to help a lot. And so this, this hit us in the early nineties, right? And so I, I was right when I went to Europe. So I, I, I wouldn't frame it quite the way that you did in the okay. sense that I was just a young kid. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I wasn't, uh, young kids are supposed to get beat, right? That's what happens when you're young and in a game. But it, you know, the, from 93 to 94, it was such a massive shift. And I'm like, what the, what is going on here? And then we figured it out. And we spent the whole year of 94 going, well, surely this is, you know, like they test for all these other things. They're going to test for this thing. It'll be all fine. And they, they couldn't figure out the test for another six or seven years. And, and finally, we just look, I mean, as unfortunate and as ugly as it was, uh, none of us, right? None of us wanted that, right? Mm-hmm. None of us as young kids said, boy, I can't wait to go from Plano, Texas to Europe and take a bunch of drugs like, or from Stuttgart to France or from uh, Milan to France. No, nobody wanted that, right? That we all got thrown into it and, and almost everybody made the same decision and, uh, shit, uh, you know, I went over ready to fight with my fists and next thing you know, they busted out the knives and guns and I'm like, all right, hang on a second. Like what, what are my, what are my, what's my option set here? Right. Options. One option is just, just to bail and go back to Plano. I wasn't going to do that. Too much of a fighter. So I walked on down to the gun shop. And, yeah. and, uh, and the, hit, the story is, of course, and by the way, I don't mind you asking. It's, 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 it's such a part of my journey. And right. I, talk about it, I talk about it all the time. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, too, I don't. I, and I think my peers would agree with me on this. I, in fact, I know they would. You know, if we all went out there and raced on bread and water, the results are the same. They really mm-hmm. are. And and I was about to ask you that. I was going to say yeah. if we if we if we remove any any type of performance enhancing drug or whatever yeah. whatever it was that y'all were using, I, I was going to ask it. Would would you be winning as yeah. much as you did? And there we have the well, answer. I, I, yeah, I, I do think. Of course, I'm biased and I'm me, and and uh, that's probably an expected answer. But the, but but what we do know, right, is an event like the Tour de France. It is 
it is like the Masters, right? You have you have events in sports, right? Uh, 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 whether it's the Olympics, the Masters, the Tour de France, the New York City Marathon, these are iconic events. Mm-hmm. And what is an iconic events always have one thing: they always have a winner, right? And and in most events, if somebody's disqualified or whatever, well, somebody else is going to be named the winner. Well, we have seven years of the Tour de France, which again is this iconic event that does not have a winner. So to, to sort of support what I said, you know, you had 200 guys every year for seven years. So there's a lot of guys. How many of them stood up and said, well, give it to me. I deserve it. I didn't do anything. Not one, not one person. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> Nobody ever came and took the trophies and the jerseys, and so they're around here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see them one day. That's pretty. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> I'll yeah. uh, I'll give you uh, I'll give you some golf gear for for letting me take a peek at some of that stuff. How does that sound? <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> uh, all right. So one other thing that college mentioned to me that I thought was super interesting, and as somebody that constantly has knots and I'm just always hurting, he mentioned that that you're like lactic acid, like you don't produce lactic acid. And that blew me away. And for people that don't know what lactic acid is, I'm not really so certain what it is. But all I know yeah. is at the end of a day, you're supposed to flush your lactic acid. Right. And you don't what, hardly produce any is what I understand. So uh, uh, this is how I explain lactic acid to people because it, it is for a lot of people confusing. If if you uh, if you just imagine you went out in your neighborhood and you found the biggest hill that you could find and you said, I'm going to run up this hill as fast as I can. Well, you should. You should try that. And as you're running, right, you're going to start sprinting, and all of a sudden you're going to start slowing down. But you're going to you're going to keep sprinting, mm-hmm. and then you're going to slow down more, and then eventually you're going to stop. Right. The thing that's stopping you is lactic acid. So this is building up in the muscles and preventing them from working. So we all produce lactic acid. Even even I do. Now the 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 you know, if you look at my career and and people have tried to analyze, you know, what we all as athletes have something that makes us special physically, right? You could look at Michael Phelps, right? Phelps is triple jointed. Phelps is, uh, it it has huge feet, you know, et cetera, et cetera. has a huge, has a much uh, uh, wider wingspan as compared to his height. So he has these physical, physical attributes that made him who he is. That is in, in the lactic acid scenario or, 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 or situation is, was sort of my secret sauce. Now, I did produce lactic acid, but the key for me was that I was able to buffer lactic acid quicker than other people. So cycling races with 200 people and you're going up and down the mountains, right? So it's very dynamic. We can't control. We were nine guys on our team. So we cannot control what the other 191 guys are going to do. So they control the the tactics and the, and the pace of the race. So you're constantly having to deal with lactic acid, and I was just able to 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 buffer and clear the lactic acid better than uh, most. That's that's really interesting. And so that help you with recovery as well, or is that Absol- absolutely okay. absolutely yeah? So that's one of the big things is that yep. you could recover quicker and as well as the muscle stuff yep. like you just talked about. Well, that's fascinating. Um, but what, what also is fascinating is is I want to hear about when you got started in the game of golf because I hear you started with Chuck Cook about like 10 years ago getting yep. lessons. And uh, the way it was told to me was that 
he wanted you to start practicing some 50 yard shots and you said yeah. to him, uh, I don't know about all that. Cause you even said it earlier. He said, I'd rather be out on the course gambling 50 yard shots. Yeah. It's like me riding yeah. a bike indoors. Yeah. He said, do you got to go to the range? I said, fuck, I said, fuck that. I said, I ride my bike outside. I don't ride it inside. Chuck, Chuck God, I love that guy. Um, here, here's Legend. the backstory and, and this, it's, this is the true story and it's very special. It, it, when I say I love the game of golf, I mean it like I, uh, and, and I credit the game of golf with, with really, uh, helping me get through an incredibly difficult time in my life. And so I did start 10 years ago when I, when my whole world fell apart and I'd never really, I actually didn't really even like, I had clubs and I'd play once a year and I was like, I don't really like this game. Shouldn't it just be six holes? Why the fuck's it gotta be 18 holes? That's too much. And so my, my world falls apart and I'd say to myself, literally, I said, all right, dude, you about to have a lot of time. Like all your sponsors are gone. All your commitments are gone. You're going to have nothing but time. What are you going to do? And I know me, I know that I have to do something with my time. Otherwise I'll go crazy and everybody else around me will go crazy. I said, you know what? I'm going to learn how to play golf. And so I paired up with Chuck and, and started taking some lessons and I, and the game of golf filled my days and i and i and i i i fell in love with the game every part of it right the equipment um the strategy the pros uh it it sounds corny man but but the game helped me immensely at a time in my life where i needed something right i just needed something to to sort of obsess over and Mm. and and just fall in love with and uh and that hasn't changed like i i my life has changed because, you know, the world has, has allowed me an opening uh, and I'm back doing some fun stuff. So, but man, if I get five hours and it ain't raining, I'm on the golf course. I promise. <laughs> well, I hope you're getting into college and Steven's feast pockets. Cause those, those two, uh, they're, they're two. This two guy's feast. Right, let me tell you, let me tell you about our round the other day. So it's, it's me and Spieth <laughs> college, of course. Uh, this fun, funny comedian, Ron White, who I'd never played with before and our friend, John Callahan and, and, and Steven Spieth is a good golfer. He's a plus one, obviously been, everybody knows his brother's an excellent, you know, legendary golfer. And he, I had to text him after the round. I was like, did you break 90? And we're playing, we're playing, (laughs) I'm not kidding, man. He fucking, he couldn't hit anything. We're playing a five man wolf game. And as, as, as Wolf goes, well, who made all the money? Oh, I'm sure Steven he did. Spieth. I'm I sure mean, he did. <laughs> he he could smiley, he couldn't break an egg. It was unbelievable. But <laughs> college said, was this the same round where where you hit it in the creek on 18 and then hit into a bunker? For right now, I've heard your bunker game is not a good place, so we might it's have to fun. touch it's on so that. Bad. It's so bad. <laughs> but but he said you hit a bunker shot over the green and then make make the putter chip for a five net four was this the same round like was that this was, all in the same was, day yeah that was the same round yeah <laughs> i did and i my my short game has gotten better outside of the the sand part but uh and i just got new gear i just got new i like went to this this most time i've ever been on the range so college your boy set me up with this club fitter here i played pxgs forever and uh, very close with bob but I, I you know i'm gonna go down to this guy and and he did i had to sit the guy texted me the schedule and I said, this guy's got to be kidding me. It was two, two hour sessions on the range. I'm like, that's, dude, I, that's I, too much for you. I said, I can't stand on the range for, but you know, tried all the different combos, shafts and heads and all this shit. And I did it. And I, I ended up, I said, I don't care what, what they are. I don't care if they're Walmart 
golf clubs. As long as this shit works, I'm getting them. And I'll sit here with you two, two times, <laughs> two hours. And so I got all new sticks and it's, it's been cool, man. Uh, the, the quote I heard on, on 18 after you, you did make it was stars close the show. Is uh, that, I, I didn't say it that day. I say it all the time though. I, I, you know, you, and look, when you're out playing golf and gambling, uh, you, you, you gotta, you gotta talk shit. I mean, that's, I love, I love, I, I love, I love talking shit, but I, was, I, I love that part of the game. And if it, it, but here's the thing, I don't, you don't always close the show, but if you do, you know, I was, I give it a big wind up and it, it uh-huh. most people have heard it 20 times. I'm like, Hey, smiley, <laughs> like you ever seen the Rolling Stones, right? But, but what happens when you go to the Rolling Stones, right? You go to the concert and there's some small band that opens, right? And they kind of play for a little bit on this little ass stage. And then they go off for 45 minutes. And then what happens? The fucking Rolling Stones come out, mm-hmm. right? You know why? Because mm-hmm. the stars <laughs> close the show. <laughs> and again, my poor friends have heard it 50 times. They're like, dude, shut up. I tell you what, you need that too in a Wolf game when, when you oh, reorder yeah. and then the, the order changes. So 15, 16, 17, 18 is where you make your money. So it's exactly plays into, uh, in, into a good Wolf game as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, my index is nine. So I get, you know, if you're playing somebody that's a scratch, I'm getting, you know, I, I get some shots, but you can believe me, you can, you can mess that up too. Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, Steve is a good player, though. Like you said, he's he's taking my money out there, drew a foot a time or two, and he's a he's a heck of an athlete. So shout out to Steven as well for helping get this set up. And I didn't uh, realize he played. I just assumed he played college golf. No, and basketball. He, he, yeah, he played. He, I said, "Where'd you go to school?" And he said, "Brown." I was like, "Oh, you you play golf there?" And he goes, "No, I play basketball." I was like, "What?" Oh yeah, heck of an athlete. Yeah. Heck of an yeah. athlete. He also likes talking trash too. So give him credit there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and golf. So you kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but I mean, do you do you enjoy the competition side of it more, or is it the game that you enjoy? Is it just kind of the combo of both? I I like the I I love the um I love the competition. I love I love being on a golf course. Right. Mm. It just just. If I lived on a golf course, I still run a lot. So if I lived on a golf course, I would run on the golf course every day. I wouldn't go out and run run around the neighborhood. I'd I'd go early and get out there before anybody. And I'd it's run beautiful. on the golf course. Like the smell too. It's a crowd yeah, the way just, a golf course smells. Yeah, um, especially in the morning. And, and I love I, I love golf trips. I love mm. you know uh, uh, the, the boys want to load up and go to Palm Springs. Let's go like <sighs> Madison for three days, thirty six a day. Absolutely. We have a fun, my, my guys would kill me. We, we created me and a buddy, uh, who, uh, is college can tell you about his name's Chad mountain. He's old golfing buddy of mine. And he was really with me when I, when I discovered the game of golf and it was this low point in my life, Chad mountain was there. He goes by Chad. O. everybody in my life has a, his name is Chad. O. so, um, and we were playing Kukio on the big Island. We had a house there and, and we were out on the course and, uh, you know, it's a beautiful course overlooks the water. And, and he said to me one day, uh, he just stopped. He says, look over there. And I look out, it's just nothing but water, just the Pacific mm. ocean. And he says that my friend is the view from the lowest point in your life. And, it was, and he was right. Mm. That was, it was a very low point, And that was my view. And, and, and I said, boy, okay, I can, I can work with this. 
I can, I can, I can come up from here. But we, uh, that's, that is a very serious story not so serious is we would play every day, uh, for not much money. Um, but, but whoever lost had to be, uh, what we call the DB, which is the drink bitch. So that means if you <laughs> lost, you had to just fetch drinks f- for the rest of the night. And, and, and then the, that idea evolved. And then we bought this really stupid shirt that, I mean, you wouldn't be caught dead in this thing. And if you lost, you had to be the DB and you had to wear the shirt for the night. Oh man. And, and so after a few years, we're like, we should make this a tournament. And so we, we then took it to four guys and then we took it to eight and now it's 12 and it's, you know, his brother and his, his brothers-in-law and Blake Griffin and just a bunch of dipshits. There's 12 of us. Uh, it's, we do it in Colorado. This year we had to have two airplanes get us all oh. around. So we, we started at Bally Neal where I've been a member for many, many years uh, and then flew back to Vail, played Frost Creek, and then finished mm-hmm. up in Aspen. So, and 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 now we have four shirts. So, of the twelve, four of the guys have to wear the low. You know, and we have a whole scoring system. The low four have to wear these shirts, and the shirts have gotten worse, by the way. They haven't been the same shirt. Like these shirts, <laughs> and then more crude. The, <laughs> it's, 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 it, dude, this one this year is. And then and then we upped it, uh, and we got golf shirts. So the losers. Not only have to wear the shirt and fetch drinks the entire night before, but then the, the next day they have to wear the most heinous golf shirt you can imagine <laughs> out on the course. And so that's now the DBI. That's the Drink Bitch Invitational. It's a, it's a very prestigious thing. <laughs> uh, you guys are – I'm happy to take it to 16 if anybody listening oh, wants to. Absolutely. <laughs> Twist my arm. You know I'm in. Uh, so are you the guy keeping the score? Uh, I know I've, I've, I've heard that you're the guy that can – very good with keeping the all track of all the bets and the scorecard. Is that, so, is that a strength of yours? Yeah, it's, 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 it, I love numbers. I always have, even, even going back to my cycling days. I mean, everything we did was, uh, was a number, right? Whether you're getting on the scale and looking at how much you weigh, which is very important in our sport or, you know, your power meter and, and just figuring out numbers. Uh, I tell the guys, I said, I'm, I am Ernst and Young. Right. And, and I hate when you get in a group and say, I got the wolf game. I got you. Know, you have five guys. You know, all of a sudden you're playing carryovers. The guy's screwing up the scores. Like I have a system down. It's, it's, dude, I don't mess up the, the scorekeeping. And it, and I love it. People are like, that's not right. I said, you want to bet? I guarantee you it's right. And so and then the other guy starts drinking and he fucks up the score. I'm like, dude, I got, I got it. I, what's I the, what's the game that you normally play? Like you say you have a system. Like what's the, what's the game? We, we, we mostly play wolf. Okay. We either play four or five man wolf. Gotcha. That makes sense. <laughs> it's with, with all, with all the, with all the add-ons. Like I don't like, Hey yeah, guys, I don't want to play hammer. I'm like, shit. You, we, I didn't come out here to not play hammer. Like we uh, are playing you. hammer. <laughs> thank you. you have that's, to, that's well and, said. And, you know, I mean, every add-on you want, I mean, hammer, rehammer, uh, birdies, double, Oh, there's uh, nothing all, all better it. than a good rehammer, yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, you so. you said you hammer. Oh, we're gonna hammer right back <laughs> after you make that forty footer on the edge of the green where they're inside of ten feet, yeah, and then the you end up I, getting I, the double double. I, I tell the boys, I said, "You make this." I said, "I got it polished up. I'm I'm ready to throw it. Just make it, dude. Let's go." <laughs> and that's when you just give the old screech across the golf course, and everybody can hear. Uh, it. Oh, college gosh. was I had my first hole in one about nine months ago uh, in Nanea, right? At Nanea. Let me tell you I, something. That place looks it, beautiful. It's so funny. Like it, it, we were talking about the tours and what it was like to win. And I, I was like, all right, this, this shit's over. Let's go home. Like I was like 
I was like, all right, let's go. Let's get out of here. Like making a hole in one, I've never made one. I've holed a bunch from the fairway and, you know, from that sort of distance. Dude, when I made, I mean, I haven't felt, I've never felt a rush like that as an athlete. <laughs> it was, and we were colleges there. My buddy Seth and Willie were there and we, we were literally tackling each other. <laughs> It was epic. And I was like, as soon as I hit at the caddy, he's like, oh, he's one of the Hawaiian guys. You know, he's like, oh. And I'm like, what? I'm like, man, I felt good. And it, as soon as he hit, hit the green, he's like, this is going in. And the fucking thing just disappeared. And I'm like, we just started tackling it. It was unbelievable. Okay. So college told me the part of the story though, on the eighth hole, you asked everybody how many hole in ones everybody else had. And you said for three holes, you were like so down in the dumps that everybody's had all these hole in ones and you hadn't (laughs) had one yet. And then you dunk it on 11. (laughs) That's amazing. And I was hung over and I went and we made the turn. I said, I said, there's only one way to feel better. I said, fuck it. I'm gonna have a beer. And so I had a beer and, uh, God, it was, it was just so good. I, 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 uh, can't wait to have another one. <laughs> I hear there was a rule put into place that night as well that, that said you could not continue to talk about the hole-in-one because you were still yeah. just so uh, about making an ace. <laughs> and I had been – and I had so, really I think, that did that? Uh, Willie told me that because the night the day before I played really good and I at dinner that night I said, guys, I mean I just do – people think I'm – I can be very, very serious, but most of the time I'm just an idiot. Like I just goof off and – but so at dinner that night, I'm like, hey guys, I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but I'm I'm playing really good. And then like 20 minutes later, I was like, hey, has anybody noticed that I was playing? <laughs> like I just kept saying it. And so finally they were like, dude. And Willie's this older German guy, like a real German. He's like, that's enough. Shut up. I'm like, <laughs> and then fucking next day, hole in one. So that night I was like, hey, that was pretty cool, huh? Jordan, Jordan Speed does this all the time when we play together. We'll be playing and we're on like 14. And most of the time, I'm not keeping track at how many under Jordan is. We're just having a great time. All the boys are out there and it's more about just, you know, drinking some beers and having fun. And then Jordan will like drop these comments throughout the round and say, God, I'm hitting, I cannot stop striping it today or something like on 14, how he's like, well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I'm eight under right now. Not that you guys didn't know. It's just like constant <laughs> reminders that he's playing really good and he wants everybody to know how good he's playing that day. <laughs> they're, 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 I, I got to meet their dad because because what, what their dad must be, just be a monster trash talker because his brother's the same. I mean, they don't exactly just, unless the they unless they just grew up and decided amongst each other that they were going to shit talk to each other. Like it's, <laughs> you should it, play it, beer pong it, against them. Those two uh, playing beer pong. I mean, they just don't stop talking. It's just, yeah. they're, yeah. they're very confident on the other side of the table. Not that we're not playing a ton of beer pong anymore. We have kids. We're, we're, yeah. we're easing out of that stage yeah. of our lives, yeah. but you're, you're, when, we, yeah. when we did, I I, it was, you know, it was I, a I lot of fun. I don't think your wife is going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, she might breeze through it. She she puts on like the Spotify like like times like double to where it gets over really quickly. So, but for you, I mean, she actually mentioned her dad used to she her dad used to put a bike in like a, one of those stationary bikes and watch mm-hmm. watch uh, the uh, Tour de France and, and oh, wow. pedal with you. And yeah. that was that was like her early memories was watching her that's dad cool. watch you race so i'm, I'm yeah. sure he wasn't the only one as well so yeah. that's like going to the driving range i mean you're just exactly. standing still you're not even moving 
hey, but you're really showing them how to do it. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, watching yeah. Tiger Woods win a major and I'm over here walking eight irons into a couch or something like that. So I guess yeah. similar, similar analogy, but, but still, uh, uh, I guess as we head out here, I want to talk a little bit just about your foundation, Live Strong, just that part of your life. I know uh, the future looks, you know, from everything I see with you, it's always about like, what's, what's tomorrow look like and how can we be better today? And it seems like your foundation that you started and, and the Live Strong brand that you started a while back just all seems to be a, totally a part of you and a part of your brand. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, it was, it was, um, uh, yeah, we start, I started the foundation, um, when I was, right when I was diagnosed and we just in actually college speaking, of, we, this guy is going to love this podcast. We brought his name up so many times. He was, I said, well, hell, who's going to run this thing? And he said, I'll do it. So he was sort of our, uh, executive director at, at the beginning and then it grew and grew. And, and then the tours came and then the yellow wristband came. And before you know it, I mean, we shit in the beginning, we thought if we raise, I don't know, $50,000 and we can give it to somebody else to, 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 to do good with, then we, we, we won, right. We've done our, we've done our job and, and fast forward 15 years and it raised, uh, you know, 500 million bucks and, and served insane. 3 million people. It's insane. Um, like, do you look it, at but, that but, just like, does that just like, do you just think crazy. about it at night at time? Uh, just it's like 500 it, million dollars. Me. Like, is that something that you just think about? Yeah. It's like, doesn't even seem it's real. So, it's doesn't. And it's so cool. And, but the, you know, it, it, it uh, didn't necessarily for me, and it, this is still very sensitive for me. You know, when I was asked to leave, you know, and everything happened, uh, and the, it was right around that time that Chad Mountain told me uh, 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 on that hole at, at uh, Kukio, this is, this is your view from the lowest point in your life. It was, it was that week that I got the email from the board and said, all right, you know, you gotta, we gotta part ways. And, and I said, hang on, what is, what is me racing by? What does this have to do with anything? Like it, it, it broke my heart mm -hmm. and, uh, it's still to this day. And so, uh, uh, but, but none of, none of, none of that changes the good that was done. Right. It was, it was correct. It was incredible work. And, and, and not only was, were we effective as a nonprofit, but I think that the, the idea uh, and and the the confidence not the confidence but the but the power behind Livestrong, I, I mean I think we were the most influential. I mean obviously American Cancer Society they raise a billion dollars a year in a year, right? So that is the biggest cancer charity in the world. But in terms of power and influence, I mean Newsweek ran a cover article about cancer, and all it was was a picture of the yellow wristband, right? We mm -hmm. had that power. And so a lot of great was done and, and, and it's too bad. It ended up the, the way that it did and I wish them the best. And, and so, but, but again, doesn't change uh, those 3 million people's lives that, that we helped. Yeah. And everyone, including me was wearing that yellow bracelet yeah. at a period of yeah. time. It was like a, it was a cultural thing. And then yeah. uh, the strong part of, of live strong. I mean, everything you, it's Everywhere. been added to all sorts of causes uh, you as, we, as we've I mean, gone uh, on Boston uh, yeah. strong, just so many uh, different things yep, that's right. that have been connected to live strong. So it's, yep. I mean, it's just really freaking cool, man. Yeah. You've all do strong. It's funny. I, I don't do much, uh, charity work. Uh, I haven't done much charity work since then, but what I do do is, is, you know, I get a lot of, uh, requests to just reach out to folks or call them or, and I, I prefer to, uh, just, you know, this day and age, you just grab your phone. I said, you know, I can call somebody, but 
you know, they're not going to have anything to hold on to other than telling somebody that I talked to, to Lance. I said, shoot me their number. I said, I'll just grab my phone and make them a video, right? So say you were diagnosed smiley, I'd, I'd say, hey, man, thinking about you, pulling for you. Let me know if I can help. And I, I end all of them with Smiley Strong or Charlie Strong or if it's Mary, it's Mary Strong. It, you know, it's I still use that uh, in my daily reach out. Um, yeah, you're right. It's every, I mean, and unfortunately, it's most of the time associated with events that, that we wish did not happen, right? So Maine Strong, Uvalde Strong, all of this tragic shit mm -hmm. that goes on in the world. Um, but yes, it's 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 ubiquitous. Well, man, you inspired a generation and you definitely inspired me. And um, uh, this was a great conversation. Just the golf stories were mm. fantastic. I could talk golf forever. About I could talk golf. I know, I, I know. I, I feel really like we could have kept on going. Could have kept on going on and on. I definitely want an invitation to the BDI. That sounds no, D, D, DBI, DBI. DBI. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, That's I, the drink. BDI just kind of rolled They're off the drink tongue there. Invitational. <laughs> but here's the other, I'll tell you as we wrap up, because I, I, I knew you had a podcast, because I mean, not only do I love the game and watch the game, I don't mean to be fucking weird, but I like stalk these guys, right? And so I, I, I and I've all, I, as soon as Hovland came on the scene, and so somebody sent me a clip of him telling you to suck it or something, I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, I fucking stalk these guys, dude. Like Joel Damon, I, I got his number, started texting him. And then, but I've always <laughs> liked Hovland for, for whatever. I just think it's so weird that you have a kid from Norway who played at Oklahoma State, who's now one of the best in the world. I'm like, how, the, how, how that didn't make any sense. And, and maybe I won the world championships as a young kid in 1993 in Oslo. So maybe there's some connection there. But I, I've just watched him progress and watched him grow. And uh, actually, I'm going to tell two stories about me being a stalker. Uh, and so in the way he played this year and, 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 and won the insane. insane. So I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to slide into his DMs. Love it. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So I, I'm like, hey, kid, like, fuck, man, wait, a, that was amazing. Like, that's, that was awesome. You know, I send. I'm like, I'll never hear from him. Man, like an hour later, dude responds. Oh, yeah. I'm like, he's like, Oh, I didn't know you played. Oh, so he's this whole back. I just, I just, I love that kid. And then the other, uh, actually this isn't quite a stalker story, but it's a true story. I'm sitting in an airport. This is going way back. And, and, uh, Rom had just come, you know, just turned pro and I saw it. I'm like, this guy is a world beater straight up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm sitting in this, uh, in the admiral's club in some airport and, and this guy across the way, like, he's like looking at me. And I never know. I'm like, does this guy want to come over and <laughs> tell me to fuck off? Or is this guy? <laughs> so fine. And I'm meeting with a guy. And so we finally get done. And this guy comes over and he starts talking to me. And this guy I was meeting with. And the dude I was meeting with says, well, where are you going? And he's a very chatty guy. He says, where are you going? And this guy says, oh, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a caddy for a young, uh, young player on the, on the PGA tour. And I was, you know, I'm already obsessed with golf at this point. And I said, I said, oh, really? I said, I said, which player? <laughs> And he says, John Rom. So it's Adam Hayes. And, yep. and, uh, he says, this young Spanish kid, John Rom. And I said, you're John Rom's caddy. And he says, yeah, you know, I'm Adam. I said, let me tell you something. Don't lose that back. No matter, no matter what, I don't care <laughs> what you have to do. That's great advice. I said, do not lose that back. You're, that fucking kid is going to make a boatload of money, which means you're going to get a, a boatload of, you know, percentage of that boatload. Don't lose that back. And so it's, it, we, we exchange numbers. And so we chat most weekends during the tournaments, but, uh, 
I, I just love I, I, you guys can sense it. I, I love the game. Well, you're going to have to come back on sometime too and talk. We can talk even just more golf, current golf stuff, and we'll do it again sometime. I know you're about to run yep. to a call, but beware, PJ Tour players. You might be getting a DM yeah. from Lance Armstrong any moment. Yeah. Who knows? Be on the lookout. It's not a fake account. It's actually yeah. Lance Armstrong. So make sure. Yeah. Don't lead that on red. This guy is obsessed and he'll definitely uh, hook you up with some good Peloton advice uh, down the road. That's right. Yeah. Just like, just like going to the range. Just sitting there hitting balls exactly this is the guy well it was a fun man and uh this has been a great conversation we're gonna have to do it again sometime look forward to it thanks boys see you buddy the smiley show is part of the sirius xm sports podcast network if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more please give a five-star rating and leave a review subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast